this is Art Blog Radio. Hi, I'm Libby. And I'm Roberta. We're here this morning with Man Bartlett, and we're at Cafe Olay in Old City. And Man is a Philadelphia-born artist who lives in Brooklyn, and he's come over to Philly for a secret mission of some sort. And um, Man is a performance artist and installation artist, so we want to hear about the performances, including one we're very intrigued about that took place in a Best Buy in New York, where he stayed overnight or stayed for 24 hours and didn't buy anything. You know, one of the things we noticed, we peeked at your website, and um, we noticed that you had a theater background. So what brought you to theater? You know, literally ever since the time I can remember, um, probably four or five years old, I told my dad that I wanted to be an actor. He just sort of said, oh, you know, uh, you just it's no thing, whatever, just no big deal, until we saw Home Alone. And he saw Macaulay Culkin, he's like, my kid could do that. And so sure enough, he took me to New York, and I got an agent and started doing commercials. And then I had an amazingly traumatic experience on a, a film set doing a commercial, which then got me into theater. I decided I didn't want to do film anymore. And so I switched to theater in high school. I really enjoyed the community of people and the sort of organic process of finding character and real-time experiences with an audience and the sort of fear that you have when you're on stage. But I was terrified of auditions and terrified of um, not making it. I had all this sort of fear around it, and I, and I just wasn't having fun. Uh, and at a certain point, actually, I think my last year of college, which was 2003, I did The Artist's Way, which is this book that helps you rediscover your inner creativity if you're having sort of artistic blocks or whatever. And, um, and out of that came just paint. It was just simple. One day I said paint. And so I just started painting, and I hadn't painted for years and years because that was my father's realm. That was sort of what he did, and I couldn't do that because of that. And your father is Bo Bartlett? Yes, that is, yeah. So you can imagine. Let's drop that in the conversation <laughs> yeah, here. Minor detail. Let's be subtle here. <laughs> um, so I started doing these really labor intensive drawings of tiny circles, but thousands and thousands of them um, that would build in this pattern where you couldn't really tell if it was an organized pattern or a chaotic pattern. And for me, it's very much a, a meditation in some sense, but also just a way to clear my mind and to create essentially something out of nothing. And how long does it take you to make one of these? Uh, anywhere from weeks to months. And do you listen to music? I do. I what kind of music? I listen to, for the larger ones, I tend to just put Beethoven's Ninth, the Chicago Symphony version, on repeat because... As cliche as it is, it, it just to me is like the the ultimate statement of like humanity and music. I just can't get over it, especially when I put it on. It just puts me in a certain sphere. I, and yet, the work that you're making doesn't really show much of that humanity. So, can you talk about that? Sure. Well, I think in in terms of what the work shows, it's been fascinating to see over the years. I've been doing them for about four years now the various responses that people have and some people see them as very scientific, other people see them as meditative, other people see them as um, attempts to, to make figuration, they'll see portraits in there. So part of what I'm doing in the process is allowing all of those possibilities. So we're curious, were you, um, were you one of the people who models for your father's paintings as a child? Yes, I am. I, I can be seen in such paintings as... <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Let us know. Leviathan, and, uh, which is the inside the whale. I'm, I'm Jonah in the whale. 
I'm in uh, one of his largest paintings called Homecoming, which is a big truck and a lot of people in the truck. So when did you move to Brooklyn? I moved to Brooklyn in August of 2008 um, from Chicago. I'd been in Chicago for five years. Um, I got a job there for a web startup company. Uh, I was promptly laid off a few months later when the economy went to you know, the tank. But on the, the flip side, in December of 08, when I was laid off, I was given a severance and I was able to go travel around the world for a few months between Egypt and South America and Asia. So oh it was quite, quite an adventure. Did you go by yourself? <laughs> I did, yeah. Oh my, yeah. that's even more of an adventure. Yeah. I, I was in South America, then the States for a little while, and then in India and Bangladesh and Nepal and Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos. So. So was there anything life-changing about this? It's still, it's still coming in. It's still entering. I think it takes a long time to... There were so many experiences. And so part of what I've been thinking about a lot since then is how do you take those pretty far-out sensibilities and the experiences that I had and you know, being cleansed by shamans in a river of freezing cold water, how do you take those experiences and convert them into a city experience? How do you live in a city knowing that you've also been through these other experiences. Because I belong in a city, I don't belong in the jungle. So were you bathed by a shaman in the icy river? I was. What icy river was it? Somewhere near outside of Cusco in Peru. I couldn't even begin to describe the experience, other than it was really intense and overwhelming and gratifying in a way. Well, let's talk about the more urban part of your existence. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had talked about performing in front of an audience, but when we think about the things that you've been doing, such as, you know, hanging out for 24 hours in well, Best But it wasn't Buy. hanging out. I was actively shopping the entire time. I was looking at products actively. But there was no present audience. And you do have an audience, though. So you want to talk about your relationship with your audience and how it works and what you're doing? And, sure. And how is this performative? I don't know. I'm yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's really fascinating to think about. And I, had, I signed up for Twitter years ago but didn't know how to use it for the longest time. And eventually, I slowly started finding art world people that were on there. And this one anonymous Twitter account, Museum Nerd, is one of the ones that first got me excited about the, the possibility of how the medium could be used, where on one hand it's totally anonymous. I could be anywhere when I'm sending these messages, yet it's also very personable. How can you create something that's not just, I woke up and took a shower today? What is it if you, if you turn that into a story? And so what the idea came to me for the, the Best Buy performance, which was a very natural series of events where I had purchased this computer and then realized I didn't even have enough money to keep the computer and I had to return it. And in returning it, it took three hours to return a computer. And I started thinking while I was in line, what would it be like to consciously stay in this place for 24 hours, knowing that they're open for 24 hours, but not buy anything? And, and when I started thinking about it, there's nothing in a Best Buy that you need. You don't need <laughs> anything in a Best Buy. There's nothing in that entire store that you need. And so leading up to actually starting the piece, I started thinking about how I could engage with people that couldn't be there. Because after I left Chicago, a lot of my base was still in Chicago and I was still meeting people in New York and didn't really know a lot of people. I just started thinking about how, how I could engage with everyone. So on, on one hand, it's just some guy in a Best Buy not shopping but not buying anything. And 
and a lot of people can kind of wrap their head around that. Yet some other people can look at that and sort of read more into it. So it's very open to interpretations from very different types of people. So did you engage with the staff at Best Buy? I did. There was one, oh, I wish I could remember his name. Um, this sort of goth-looking kid with super straight jet black hair that went all the way across his face, but was really nice. And, and I told him after he, he looked at me, he was really wanted to help me. And this was probably at 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning. And, and I have to say for the record that I started at 6 p.m. and it wasn't until 11 that anyone noticed I was there. And then like, the staff was just doing their own thing, had no idea. Um, but this kid in particular was really interested in what was going on. And I, and I told him eventually that I was doing this performance and, and he just ate it up. He was really excited about it and wanted to ask me all these questions. And so that was a pretty interesting experience actually. So, you know, there's something satirical going on in your work. You want to talk about what you think you're satirizing? I'm or, so glad to use satire, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, I will say this. I, it's very important. I, I'm, I'm naturally a pretty outgoing guy, and I joke around a lot in my personality, and I like to take some of that sensibility into the work wherever possible. But on the other hand, it's also very serious. I take it very, very seriously. I work really hard at crafting this, these concepts or the ideas of what I'm doing. So it's not this kind of heavy-handed fist that's sitting over the head saying, consumerism is bad, because I don't necessarily think that. And that sort of awareness of, of what do I need, what am I doing, where, how do I exist in relationship to space, right? So in this case, in the Best Buy, it was how do I exist in relationship to this incredibly consumer-driven um, store. So why is it 24 hours? What's that? I think originally it developed because it was a, a time period that was understandable as a cycle of a day. So if you were to start at 6 p.m. and end at 6 p.m., in one sense you're, you're, starting, you're ending exactly where you began. And there's something about that where you just end up in the same place. No progress. No, no real progress. And so one interpretation is, um, is a nihilistic sort of defeatist sense, sensibility. And on the other hand, it's a state of equilibrium. It's almost a, a Zen state of being completely at one with your surroundings again. And so those two, on one hand, are in exact opposition with each other. But in my life, I have those existing all the time between complete sheer, utter nihilism, nothing means anything, and everything's all good, everything's gravy. It's all, you know, coming together in one, in one pie. So. Let's talk about documenting your work because Twitter is a big documenter of Man Bartlett's performances. It is. The, the way that Twitter, well recently the Library of Congress either purchased or they have some deal set up with Twitter so that every public tweet since 2006 is now in the public domain. Um, so what that means is that once that archive becomes available, you'll have access to every single public tweet since 2006. And That's a frightening amount of information. It yeah, is an overwhelming amazing. amount. You, can't really wrap your brain around because one thing that you don't really realize is that the, the little tiny messages that you post on Twitter is actually way larger than that. There's all this metadata that's attached to every single message that you send, all different types of information. Um, so this piece that I had wanted to develop for a little while is, is called 24-Hour Echo. And the idea is I, I wanted to simply repeat what the internet said. 
I created a web page on my site where you could enter in text and then I would see it and then repeat it into a web camera, which you were then also watching on the same page. So in the back of my mind, I wanted dialogue to happen between the people who were telling me what to say of some kind of important quote-unquote nature, whether it's politics or news or or different conversations. And what ended up happening was it was just quotes from music. And what became difficult was I had set the, the restriction that I was going to repeat whatever you said. So I was trapped to just repeat exactly what they told me to say. And how were they speaking to you? Through uh, essentially a chat box. You could be on any social media service, and as long as you were logged in, you would just type what to say, and then I would see it show up in a feed, and once I saw it, I repeated it. And what I found is that while there wasn't as much um, deeper intellectual content. It was mostly either song lyrics or random quotes, and but it, it was very much this kind of scattershot of different types of people that wanted to engage and wanted to just hear me say something. And after a 24-hour period of doing that, I was emotionally destroyed. I was literally wrecked. I mean, I'm glad that I turned the web feed off because as soon as I did, I just broke down. I mean, I really was so overwhelmed by essentially taking on the internet's persona for 24 hours. I didn't know how to process the information that had come in, and since then I realized that it actually was a perfect representation. That if you had said the, the smartest quote-unquote thing possible or nothing or caca the whole time, it wouldn't have mattered. Because, because it doesn't really matter what was being said. And it took me a little while to realize that because I wanted people to sound smart all the time. But I, I sound like an idiot half the time, you know, so. <laughs> Okay, we've been speaking with Man Bartlett on Art Blog Radio. Thank you so much, Oh, thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation and Fleischer Art Memorial. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And Eric Biondo, who provided the music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.